This is Jesse Bob Harper coming uh, at you from the basement of Project Neighbors in Valparaiso, Indiana at the public radio station of WVLP. Uh, this is where we are recording today's episode of Angelus Boyhood. Once again, those who are regular listeners of the show, if there are any, I want to first and foremost thank you and explain to you that we had been on hiatus for quite a while. You know, when I moved back to Indiana, back to Valparaiso, Indiana, from living in Los Angeles for 22 years, and I first got to Indiana, uh, I didn't know anything other than I was leaving LA, and I was leaving for a lot of reasons, um, which I can get into on another show, on another episode of the podcast. But when I returned to Indiana, I really had no idea what I was going to be doing. And I was 40 years old and uh, I had just uh, graduated from college <laughs> at the uh, ripe old age of 40. And I had uh, visions of possibly moving on to New York or moving to New Orleans or moving somewhere else other than my hometown, the town I grew up in. But once I got back here, I sort of um, stayed for a myriad of reasons, one of which was that I found a dog on the side of the road and uh, I didn't know if anywhere I was going to go would allow pets. So I was very paranoid about that. So I always tell my wife that one of the reasons I stayed in Indiana when I returned was because uh, I found my dog Maybe and his name was Maybe. But I ended up going to law school uh, here in Valparaiso and I became a lawyer. Uh, I was sworn into the bar at about the age of maybe 47, I believe. And uh, since then I have been a practicing attorney. And because of that, uh, with trials, with uh, just cases in general, uh, I sometimes lack the time it takes in order to put together the podcast, but I enjoy doing it so much. And I love exploring this dichotomy between Los Angeles and Indiana that recently, if you listen to the podcast, we have started again, recording new episodes, putting new episodes up for your listening enjoyment. And one of the topics I have been thinking a lot about lately, and I've been thinking about it for a very specific reason, but one of the topics I've been thinking a lot about lately, and it is something that did do, it was something I was extremely good at, something uh, I had done both in Indiana and in Los Angeles, and it was sort of one of those things in your life that is a through line, something that has been with you for just about as long as you can remember and um, something that I no longer do that no longer is in my life at least in the way in which it used to be uh, and that is uh, smoking and when I was growing up uh, smoking was very much a way of life I mean my, both of my parents my mom and my dad smoked uh, my uncle smoked, my parents' friends smoked, uh, and eventually all of my friends smoked in junior high school and high school. And when I moved to Los Angeles, uh, I would say most of the people that I associated with smoked. This was before California became one of the first states, if not the first state, 
to outlaw smoking in bars and in restaurants. Uh, and prior to that, uh, pretty much everyone I knew, everyone I associated with, everyone I spent time with smoked. Actually, that's not true because my roommates didn't smoke. So eventually it became that I was the lone smoker. But for quite a while, it was me and everyone else around me that smoked. I still remember the brands my mom and dad smoked. My dad was a Winston man, and my mom smoked Vantage. And very few people know Vantage. Do you know Vantage, Chris? I'm asking my producer if he knows Vantage. Vantage was a brand of cigarette that had sort of a bullseye on it. And it was sort of known because its filter was almost hollow. And that was my mom's brand. And it's very funny because it fit my mom so well because she was a graphic designer and it had just this beautiful mid-century modern logo on it. And the Winston actually fit my dad really well. I mean, he was a Winston man. I, he Winstons are for guys who would normally be Marlboro man, but they have to wear ties, right? So... You would normally be a Marlboro man because my dad was a bonafide hillbilly, but he had a job in which he had to wear a tie. So he immediately became a Winston man. And I started smoking at an incredibly, incredibly early age. Um, I was about really and truly maybe nine or 10 years old. And this is when we lived out in the country and lived on a lake. And my brother Sam and I, and I can remember it perfectly, Sam was one of my older brothers, and we took, <laughs> we were so conscientious, we took an ashtray, okay, <laughs> and the cigarettes and some matches into the woods, and um, we tried our dad's Winston. Um, but we didn't litter because we had the ashtray as if we were, you know, very uh, proper gentlemen. And obviously at that age, we weren't inhaling. We were mostly just imitating or aping uh, our parents and their friends. But for whatever reason, I really took to it at that time, even though I wasn't inhaling, I liked smoking. Um, and as I grew older, I began to hang out with and be friends with other young boys whose parents smoked. And one of those boys, Michael Bean, Mike Bean, uh, he was enamored with smoking as much as I was. And we would either steal our parents' cigarettes or believe it or not, go to the McDonald's where there was a cigarette machine. People have a hard time believing that and it makes me sound older than I am, but there used to be a cigarette machine at the McDonald's. We would buy packs of cigarettes and we would go out to the woods, go out behind the school and we would smoke them, not knowing exactly what we were doing. We just knew how to light them and pretty much nothing else. And I can remember, and, and this is a, a memory that is, is as clear as day to me, is, is we were at a local convenience store, which at that time was called Family Express. And, you know, I believe at that time, at, in that year, you didn't have to be 18 to buy cigarettes, but I think, 
I think they wanted you to at least be older than 12. So it was always sort of a, a you know, um, dog and pony show trying to get these cigarettes. We would have fake notes from our parents. Um, we would try to act older than we were. And Mike and I went into the Family Express to buy a pack of cigarettes. And it just so happened, coincidentally, that there were two other young boys from our junior high school that were in there playing a video game. They saw what we were doing. Um, and these two young boys, uh, <laughs> you know, I should give their names. I still remember their names. I'm not going to say their names because I think they're still around. But it's very funny because there were some kids in junior high and high school who were real dicks and bullies. And a lot of them grew out of it. And it's really nice to see when you see those guys who were real assholes that have grown out of that and you can forgive them and let go of some of that resentment you have towards them. And maybe, hell, maybe someone thought I was a real asshole and a bully and hopefully they can let go of some of that resentment because now I'm older and more mature. But these two guys were bullies and assholes and to the best of my recollection they still are so they're not one of the ones that have grown out of it but anyway they saw that mike and i were buying cigarettes and they followed us out of the store and they said hey if you guys are going to go smoke you know can we bum a couple off you and come with you so we said sure so we all rode rode our BMX bikes out to a park and we started smoking and i remember straight away that these two young men who were actually more sophisticated than Mike and I, believe it or not, more sophisticated than Mike Bean and Jesse Bob, if you can believe it. And they began laughing at the way in which we were smoking. And I was about 12 at this time, maybe 13. I think I was in eighth grade. I know I was in junior high school. And we became embarrassed and asked them why they were laughing. And they said it was because we weren't inhaling. We were simply taking the smoke in in our mouths, waiting a second and blowing out, which we, that's exactly what we were doing because we didn't know the difference between inhaling or not. And they spent a few minutes teaching us how to inhale the cigarette smoke. And it didn't take long for either Mike or I to figure out how to do it. I'd never got it on the first try, but I got it on the third or the fourth try. And I remember, I remember exactly where I was and exactly the way it felt the first time I inhaled that cigarette smoke and blew it out. And even though I was only 13 years old, I knew immediately, immediately something told me this is what I was supposed to be doing. Like, this is something I'm finally good at. I wasn't good at basketball. I wasn't good at kickball. I couldn't play baseball. I was too small for football. But this, this was my thing. I, I knew it immediately that this was going to be what I was going to be known for. And, and it was, I mean, from that point forward, uh, I would say by the time I was 15 or 16, I was probably a pack a day uh, kid. And this is in high school. And when I was in high school, believe it or not, and I graduated in 1988, there was a smoking lounge in the school. And so uh, between periods or after lunch, you could go out into the smoking lounge and you could have a cigarette. And uh, you didn't need parents' permission. You could just go out and have it, which I think is very 
uh, cosmopolitan and mature of the schools to know that, hey, we're going to have students that smoke. And if they're not able to have a smoke, it's going to be a problem, sort of like the prisons, right? You know, the prisons for so long would allow or look the other way when the prisoners smoked because they said, hey, we don't want these guys going through nicotine withdrawal behind our walls. We want to be able to, you know, in a way control that. And you control it by allowing them to have what they want. And even when I was 15, 16, 17, the people I hung out with, uh, Scott Valpatic, Pete Reggie, uh, John Horton, I mean, the only one who wasn't a smoker was Will, who you've heard on this podcast. He never smoked. But the rest of us were really genuinely smokers. I'm not talking about high school kids who would do it on Friday nights at the Godfather's Pizza to show off to other kids. This was, we were people who, kids who really smoked. And that was something that uh, stayed with me for a long time. And it was one of the constants in my life was being a smoker. to Los Angeles, um, it's something that sort of ballooned into almost a full-blown profession. It was something that I was constantly doing, and uh, I eventually became two-pack-a-day. And in fact, I remember there was at one point, and this was a time in which one of those times when you realize, wow, this city is will really eat you up and spit you out. For whatever reason, I woke up one morning by myself in an apartment I had in Los Feliz and I couldn't stand up straight. Like I literally could not stand up straight. I just, for whatever reason, I could not stand. I was hunched over. So somehow, some way I got into my car and drove myself to the emergency room down on Sunset Boulevard in uh, Hollywood at the Kaiser Permanente. And um, they wanted to hold me for observation. (laughs) And so not knowing that having gone into the emergency room that I could possibly be there for six to eight to 10 hours without a cigarette, um, and quite frankly, feeling like I was on the brink of death, I still was able to sneak out of that emergency room and go out to Sunset Boulevard and have a cigarette with an IV pack that was stuck into me with, uh, I think, nothing more than sugar water. And then when I returned, that's when they kicked me out um, and sent me on my way. But it was also the time at which I realized, look, maybe I should think about quitting this habit. Uh, Even though I identified so Closely, I identified so much of who I was with being a smoker. I remember (laughs) anecdotally, I was at Bar Marmont on um, Sunset, which is next to to Chateau Marmont. And it was one of these places that my buddy Patrick and I and Michael Goldberg and I, we would go on every Friday or Saturday night. And at that time, like I said, this was before they outlawed cigarettes within bars and restaurants in California. And I remember being in there one evening and leaning against the wall and smoking, not in any way trying to affect some sort of 
vibe or some sort of some sort of look. It was just what I was doing. And from across the room, I saw a very pretty, charming, charismatic young lady whom I went over to talk to. And I remember she specifically said to me, I liked you better when you were leaning against the wall smoking like the Marlboro Man. Meaning she did not like me talking to her. So, <laughs> so me being a smoker, I identified so much with it. It was, it was who I am. And, um, my uh, American spirits, which at that time you could only get uh, in New Mexico and California. But it all led to the inevitable cancer scare, which I had at a very young age of about 38 when my doctor thought she had seen on an x-ray uh, when I had bronchitis, a tumor in my lung. And that sort of sent me reeling and it spurned me to begin a program of quitting smoking, which I did by the use of nicotine gum. And like a lot of people do, um, I began chewing nicotine gum about a year or two prior to moving back to Indiana. And it was just this period in my life when I was going through so many changes of breaking up a long-term relationship, trying to get a college degree at the age of 38 or 40, trying to quit smoking. And I found and hung on to nicotine gum. The reason lately I have been thinking so much about smoking and so much, you know, aside from my love of just being... <laughs> And this is going to sound so douchey and affected about my just my love of being in a train station in Paris or France and having an espresso and smoking a cigarette or being in Madrid and having a cafe con leche and smoking a cigarette and always wanting to be that guy. Right. You know, uh, some Hemingway character. Aside from all of that, um, I have continued even after quitting the smoking, even after quitting the smoking for going on 12 years now to chew the nicotine gum. And um, they say you're not supposed to use it for longer than six months, but I took that with a grain of salt. And so now it's been 12 years and now my wife has, you know, for Christmas, I have given up the nicotine gum, not in the least because she was sick and tired of finding it in the house, but because for any kind of medical side effects it may have. And so that has gotten me thinking so much about having been a smoker and having identified with that and having so much of my identity, whether in Indiana or in Los Angeles or anywhere prior to me quitting, so much of where I was, was enveloped in that idea of being a smoker, whether I was an extra on a milk movie, whether I was waiting to go into an audition, whether I was working as a bellman and on a break in an alley in West Hollywood, whatever it was, that was one significant, if not the only constant 
in my life from the age of 12 uh, outside of uh, family. Um, and so having been on this new trajectory of trying desperately to quit this nicotine gum, it has started me to think about uh, smoking and, and cigarettes and how wrapped up it I was in it and who I was. And I, there were times when, you know, I was living next to this producer and she uh, was able to get product place, placement in one of the films she was working on from American Spirit. And they sent her like literally just like this crate of cartons of cigarettes. And, you know, <laughs> you know, I may not have been cast in a major movie or in a television show or gotten a series regular, but when she brought that crate of American spirits to my apartment, I was like, Jesus, I've made it. You know, I mean, I live next to a person who's a producer who gets free cigarettes. And so I've just been thinking a lot about that because there was so much of it that has to do with Indiana and so much of it that has to do with who I was in L.A. And... I just wanted to, I don't know, spend some time talking about that. If you have any of your own smoking stories, if you continue to smoke, I'd love to hear those stories uh, because I wish I could do the same. Um, I do sometimes, rarely, but do sometimes still crave a cigarette now and again, but it's almost always not because of a situation that I'm in. It's because I am doing something that I identify with who I was or, or who I wanted to be, uh, imaginings of the person I wanted to be in the future. So Again, thank you for listening to me. Those are just a few thoughts on smoking. Um, I sometimes, if not often, if we're not having a conversation, um, I often write um, what I want to say uh, on this podcast uh, and take some time and really figure out what I want to say and how I want to say it. But often, sometimes I like to sort of do it in a free form as I've done today. So this is a short little podcast about smoking and American spirits and about how you identify yourself and what you identify with. And I hope in some way, somehow, if you're listening to this, you have been able to identify to something I've said or something I've related. And once again, thank you so much for listening to Indie Angeles Boyhood. Boyhood.